Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Can you honestly tell me that you forgot? Forgot the magnetism of Robin Zander or the charisma of Rick Nielsen? That's kid stuff. Kid stuff? How about the tunes? I want you to want me. The dream police. Da -da 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 -da. Your mama's alright, your dad is alright, but just seem a little bit weird. Bye. Surrender. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and in the fine Talk is Jericho tradition of having rock and roll Hall of Famers on the show. Today, we've got our first of 2017. The legendary Cheap Trick is here. Cheap Trick just inducted last year in the Hall of Fame with Steve Miller, Deep Purple, Chicago, NWA. But you're going to hear all about Cheap Trick's history. You're going to hear all about Rick Nielsen's famous five-neck guitar. Uh, he's also the guitar shaped like him, which is great. Rick's also got stories about working with John Lennon. He almost played on Double Fantasy, touring with ACDC and Bon Scott. These are legendary rock and roll stories, people! Plus, Rick's son and Cheap Trick's new drummer, Dax Nielsen, joins in, shares some stories from his childhood, like when Guns N' Roses came to his house to drink with his dad, what it's like drumming in his dad's band, and why does he even call Rick dad anymore, all right? Cheap Trick's Rick Nielsen and Dax Nielsen are here kicking off the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a list of shows uh, for 2017 on Talk is Jericho. And hey, Talk is Jericho fans, if you want to be the first to know what's up with Talk is Jericho, you got to sign up at podcast1.com slash Jericho. You'll never miss an episode. You'll always be in the know because we'll take care of telling you exactly when a new episode is released, who the amazing guest is, all the details, all the information, all the TIJ411. Just go sign up now at podcast1.com slash Jericho and be part of the chosen few. So the day that Dax was born, I was in Montreal. We played the Montreal Forum the night before, and uh, it was a, it was secret. But uh, I flew to New York to work with John Lennon. Mm -hmm. So Dax was the only kid. Of, I've got four kids, and he was the only one that would that I wasn't there at the hospital for. Because you're with Lennon. My wife gave me a, a hall pass <laughs> to be with John. That Lennon. is kind of a hall pass, right? And, and I'm not going to tell the rest of the <laughs> right. story yeah, that right. I tell about right now. But, <laughs> but that was for the Double Fantasy record, yeah, uh -huh, right? Yeah. So you guys did play a couple tracks on that yeah, album. Did uh, Moving On and Losing You. Was that through the connection of Jack Douglas? Yep. Who's producing Jack. the record? Yeah. yeah. So what? So Good. tell me that about that experience. What missing Dax being born? <laughs> uh, well, I got a phone call from Jack. It was actually Bunny that got the phone call uh, from Jack because they said they want some souped-up drums or whatever. And then they thought, well, they could use some souped-up guitar because it was sounding a bit... Uh, I Don't ask me because, you know, I, I didn't make the initial call. But, you know, they wanted uh, some of the live feel that Cheap Trick had. And so uh, the two of us flew from uh, Montreal to uh, New York. It was, it was secret. Because we weren't supposed to tell anybody. I was like, I wanted to tell a lot of people, but you know, <laughs> yeah. but I didn't because you know because they they used us and then they we got bumped off the album to for because Yoko wanted to have the original guys that played on the rest of the record because he said it made it too like this mm -hmm. and uh, 
I've got a recording I can play for you in a bit. You can record it too if you want. I love of the original. No, this is even better, more interesting than that. But uh, so yeah, so um, walked in the studio and and it was like it was getting set up and John came walking in and he said, "Oh, it's you." <laughs> and, and my my joke is, I think he thought I was Ozzy and Harriet. Ricky Nelson, you know. yeah. But uh, then he knew who uh, he knew because of Jack, because Jack had produced our first record and and had uh, mixed with me and Bunny uh, the Live at Budokan record, which mm-hmm. had done pretty well. By right, that. right. Everyone uh, knew about that record. Yeah. yeah. So, so we were on there, and then uh, and I loaned John a guitar, and it was like guy to guy. It wasn't like yes, Mr. Lennon. Mm-hmm. Bunny said that, but not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, we toasted uh, Dax being born and toasted uh, Sean out too because he was a little kid then and uh, I smuggled cigars from from Canada into in the U.S. <laughs> okay, so I should be arrested right now. There you go. The statute of limitations has run out. You're it is? Okay. Oh, good. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, we, so that and uh, we toasted and uh, I uh, hung around with John because I'm a guitar guy and you know, guitar collector too and I said, John... You know, you need better guitars than what you got here. Because mm. <laughs> he had the one guitar he had, he had the Rickenbacker with the set list still scotch taped to the top from Shea Stadium. Wow. So I got got to play that, and he had a Valeno guitar, which I said, you know, that's you're John Lennon. Mm-hmm. You, you need something cooler. So we were gonna gonna go guitar shopping when I came back. Wow. And I said because everybody tells you yes, yes John, yes John, yes John. And I was like, I just. I'd probably go, yes, John, every other time because, you know, I'd tell him the truth as opposed to, you know, what, what I... What when it comes opinion. to guitars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so, so uh, but uh, then we came, I had a guitar built for John and brought that back and uh, it was Robin and myself were going to be singing background because we do la, 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 baby voices. Mm-hmm. And, but they were finished with the album by then. So I gave him the guitar and, but I had given him my, uh, one of the guitars that I brought to the session um, it's, it's a it's a Fender Telecaster string bender, which means you can push down the thing. A lot of country guys use it, and he'd never seen one before. I said, "Well, you know, I'm going to Japan the next day. I flew home to Rockford to, to see my new baby." Mm-hmm. <laughs> there he is, still whining. Here I am, <laughs> still crying. He pooped and, his uh, pants the other uh, night too. I think. He went to Japan, and when he came back, uh, but then it was three years later that, that Yoko sent me the guitar after he was murdered. Really? Because he was he had the guitar for three years. The yeah. one that you had made for the him? One, no, not no. The one that I had made for him is still either with Yoko or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something. Um, what's you talking about? The Rickenbacker? No, not the oh. Rickenbacker. I had a guitar made for him. Right, right, but right. But I loaned him a guitar. Gotcha. I loaned so, him yeah. the Fender Telecaster mm-hmm. with the string bender on it. Right, right. And I got that back three years later. Wow. Took that so, long to go through the system, huh? Well, you know, I, I never did ask for it because, mm. you know, hey, man, where's my guitar? Right, like, right, right, uh, right, right, right. How do you breach the, <laughs> yeah. broach that? Yeah. yeah, exactly. What an experience for you, though, being yeah. a, a huge Beatles fan. That's yeah, the ultimate. Right. Like I said, Part I didn't tell you. This. I'll tell you when the microphone is off. The rest of the story. Part of it. It's all good. The it's rock all good. And no, no, nobody got hurt. But, but then uh, I was just, uh, just in London. I went to George Martin's uh, memorial service. I got invited, which, you know, it's like pretty cool. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, pretty horrible that he, you know, he passed well, sure, away. but at ninety-four, yeah, yeah, not a bad run, right? Yeah, and so. Because I'd gotten, a, I'd been to his house. He'd cooked for me and my wife and stuff, and we'd known them since 1979, I think, or mm-hmm. 70, 78 or 79. So every year I got get a Christmas card. And every year his handwriting got a little worse. And so I, I could you translate this for me? No. <laughs> and then when he did the the making of uh, Sergeant Pepper, he he went around the United States and did a, a few places like New York and Chicago and L.A. and Boston or whatever. In Chicago, he used me for his interpreter because hmm. he's he's what do you say? He's more hard of hearing than I am. <laughs> so as I was, I'd feel the questions and you know tell him what was so, up. So you know, it was pretty cool. So then I, I went to the the memorial service and here I was, uh, sitting right behind uh, Yoko and Sean and and Julian, and uh, Sean knew about working with John, and of course Yoko did and Julian did. Said he didn't know anything about it, but I thought he did, but mm-hmm. he said he didn't. Mm-hmm. And then, then as right as I'm talking to them, the center guy turned around to me and says, Hello, Rick. And I said, Hello, Paul. <laughs> 
<laughs> there you go. Pretty right? cool. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> actually, the guitar that he uses on stage, uh, the left-handed Les Paul, it was actually mine before. Really? Yeah, I got it to him through my guy to his guy. Isn't years it, ago? Isn't it great when and actually you can fit in this too when you when you meet somebody that was your hero, and then becomes a peer and then becomes a friend. Uh, as 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 a musician or as a, as a fan of well, he, all he said was hello, Rick. Uh, well, I know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I never. Uh, and I, I'd like to get an autograph from him. I never, you know, I yeah. never, I never asked for it. So. Yeah, right, right. But, but, but yeah, that is, it is pretty cool. You know, they be, become friends with sure with people, or, or you find out they're not jerks. You know, right. Like, I've I've met some people that uh, I liked and or we liked, and it was like, ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, great to see you. <laughs> hope to never see you again. Yeah, 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 yeah. How was it for you, Doc? So we were talking about this, how he missed your uh, birth because he was hanging with John Lennon. That's probably one of the best rock and roll I'm not too upset about stories, that situation. Right? Yeah. But now you're actually in a band with your dad. Yeah, and making up for lost time, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, because I'm sure he was probably on the road quite a bit when you were growing up. Yeah, we're still, Cheap Trick is still doing 160 shows a year, and they were playing double that when I was when they were, you know, mm-hmm. 30 years yeah, ago, 40 were, years ago. Yeah, in your teens or whatever. So it's been great, and kind of the whole Beatles thing, we did Sgt. Pepper live in Vegas for nine weeks, and Jeff Emmerich, who was the engineer for all almost yeah. all the Beatles, right? he was our front of house sound man. Wow. So and, and I had gone to England and went to George's house in the country and got his uh, blessing to do it and got the originals, uh, original charts for it, for the orchestra wow. charts. And uh, here you go, right again. <laughs> Let's good, talk good, about good that. How, how hard was it to do that? Because a lot of those songs had never been played live. Obviously. No, they never had. You know, some of the stuff that we had, he did had never been played by the Beatles, and it was like, you know, it was edited. Mm-hmm. The pieces of tape were edited together. You know, we just had to learn it. You know, it wasn't like we wrote it and had to do all this stuff. So so we had to learn some complicated stuff. And and at the same time, it's like, we're, we're cheap trick. We don't, we're not like a cover band. We do, we cover songs, but we're not like a cover band trying to, Oh, you're gonna try and make it exactly. You can make the guitar sound like Jordan. No, mm-hmm. you know we just we did it the way we did. And Jeff Emmerich commented right away. He says, "You know, you guys are better than the Beatles. You do, don't <laughs> And plus, you know, not you know not better than the Beatles, but you know we were we were more of a unit band mm-hmm. playing because at that time they weren't even speaking to each other sure. for some of the stuff. So. And I, you know, I didn't have to bring my wife in on a gurney on <laughs> the hospital bed. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> what's well, you know that was, they're the Beatles. They could do whatever. They well, want. sure. Uh, yeah. They didn't care about me. What song was the the hardest to learn out of those? Because there's some pretty difficult parts. And I'd then. say "Good Morning" was pretty tough. Really? Because it's got all these weird times. It goes. Mm-hmm. There's a bar of five, and then a bar of six, and then you know that or uh, "Day in the Life" was pretty pretty cool. You know, so many different parts. But we, as an encore, we also did. Uh, all you need is love. No, the oh. end. Oh, Golden yeah, Slumbers, the backside of Abbey Road, Slumbers, yeah. the whole medley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you go online, uh, look up. There's a there's a mashup, McCartney and Cheap Trick <laughs> doing it as, uh, and they use more of us than they do. <laughs> uh, but it, but it's really cool, and that was difficult because that that they had never played. It was pieced together, so at the end there's a little, it's a little, the timing is like mm-hmm. edited not on the one or mm-hmm. what you know. To me, the the hardest one for, for me to learn when we did uh, the Sgt. Pepper was uh, when I'm 64 because mm-hmm. I felt like like such a dork doing it. Like a dance hall, <laughs> yeah, 30s dance hall thing. It's just because it wasn't my favorite song. Yeah, but uh, I think probably the hardest one on that thing was the the one, the George Harrison song. Within you, without you. Yeah, it was, yeah. because we had to do it. And we had uh, Indian. Did you actually have? Oh yeah. No sampling used whatsoever. Yeah. No. We had a four-piece Indian ensemble, and Tom played. Wow. Tom played and sang it. Yeah. Because yeah, it's yeah. kind of the George thing. He's kind of the closest <laughs> oh, it to was George. The whimsical. Yeah. The timing on that thing. Really yeah. crazy. And then tabla player going nuts in the in the middle section. Yeah. And, and that's tabla is a crazy instrument in I, the I, first place. Yeah. The, you know, I have no idea. That's the thing about the Beatles that a lot of people don't know, unless you're a musician, is how off some of the time signatures are. Oh yeah. And it's very subtle. You know, but it's like the beginning of everybody's got something to hide but me and my monkey, how it kicks in. Yeah. It doesn't kick in on the one, it kicks in on like on the two and a half or yeah. something. It's really weird. <laughs> we just did, uh, what's the song? She Said, She Said. Oh. And that's got some funny timing in it too. And we just did it for a Revolver 40 year anniversary oh, okay. for Howard Stern. 
Right. Whoops, you didn't hear that. <laughs> we'll yeah. put it on after. Produced, it's already happened. Produced by Jack Douglas. Yeah, oh, Jack, by Douglas. Jack Douglas again. We got at, Joe at Johnny Depp's house. With Joe, Johnny with, Depp's house. With Joe Perry. <laughs> Joe Perry, who was living there, came over and played the guitar on it, too. At See, the end. This thing, everybody loves Cheap Trick. I mean, it, probably the, not everybody, but a, a, a lot of majority. If, if you take two bands that most rock fans love, it's, it's Cheap Trick and it's ACDC. I always hear, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of similarities between your bands, and that it's just straight ahead. You guys have got more of a power pop thing. They got more of a, I guess, more of a more blues of a money thing. thing. Money of a money thing. <laughs> <laughs> they get a lot more uh, power pop money there. Uh, they're great. We toured with those guys. Did uh, flip flop shows in '78, '79. Wow. It was all over the place. I was with Bond mm -hmm. and stuff. And one of the shows we did was the Fourth of July. Uh, 1979 at uh, Winnebago County or Peckatonica County Fairgrounds or Winnebago County Fairgrounds in Rockford, Illinois was our big home right big hometown home, yeah uh, who to do thing and uh, <laughs> but you no know, we did a lot of shows we did uh, Zeppelin plots in Germany in Nuremberg that was like one of the biggest shows we ever did with uh, we did it, it was us and it was it was the Who then it was then it's built the Who Cheap Trick ACDC Scorpions and Jeez. somebody else but they put Miriam McCaba in between Cheap Trick and The Who who was that? Yeah, there you go good answer <laughs> exactly. good one hey they needed a buffer that's exactly right right you know but I can't argue with that I got a picture of that of, of that show? oh yeah of that era and show what was uh, what was Bon Scott like as a he was as a great guy? yeah I was the first guy to take him uh, to eat Mexican food <laughs> and he came to my house too. He came. This is before Dax was born. <laughs> he came to my house over to Angus and Malcolm. And when I saw him a couple of years ago, Ray, is it living in Rockford? Man. <laughs> you know, because we were, you know, we were all coming up through the ranks. But it was like, so I took Vaughn in there, and it was like he was the sweetest, nicest guy. Yeah. And um, when I took him to eat, it was like he was the first guy that had, you know, never had tacos before. You know. And he never had tacos. It's tacos and scotch. <laughs> How cool is that? Exactly the, uh, the most basic yeah. mix, right? <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So, Dax, when you're playing with uh, with your dad, I mean, obviously, it's your dad, but is he also your boss? Do you get yelled at sometimes? Yeah, I, I call him Rick. To okay, every, right, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I've called him dad or daddy in <laughs> 10 years now. Right, right, right. Just because, you know, I, just, I was a professional drummer before I got the Cheap Trick gig, so it wasn't like... Okay, my dad got me a job, you know. So I was treated his, you know, I treat yeah, him the same a, as I treat Robin or Tom. You yeah, know, Tom and Robin had to okay it before I. Of course, would, sure. Because I, I didn't want to. Well, it's your kid, you know. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and you know, but actually, before that, like, how many years ago was this? Now, when Bunny broke his or had his operation, uh, that was two thousand one. Oh wow! So okay, fifteen years. 15 I've been years so I've been playing on and off with them he, for fifteen he played years. With us fifteen years ago. How old were you then? Tour. 2021. Okay, so just, was, yeah, on an Aerosmith tour you went out. Aerosmith tour, he went out and he played because when he was got operated on. So mm -hmm. how many months was that? I don't remember. Like full summer, probably three months. Yeah. Right. 2001, and then there was a few times where Bunny had prior obligations. Uh -huh. That so I just they flew me out. So for one just, show, you were, you were the filling guy. Yeah, here, yeah. Whatever, whatever it was. So I've kind of been working on the gig for. Did you have to like years. audition at all for the other two guys or? I mean. They'd all seen me play, and I had my own band that opened up for them for he, months. He was a drummer for uh, Dick Dale for three years. Oh, wow, okay. Surf guitar guy. Yeah, King. of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, surf guitar originator, yeah. So sure. he was with them, and he, he lived... I never saw Dax for about 10 years. He lived in, in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Then I went to his place and saw where he lived, and I thought, yeah, yeah, Holy. It was called paying dues. Yeah. yeah, well, that's... But that's the thing. I bet you a lot of people might not uh, not know that because, oh, it's the son of Rick Nielsen. Right, no. Like you said, might think, oh, I just got the gig and slide right in there. No, I lived for five years in what was called the fishbowl. It was... I had lived with four other guys, and I couldn't afford rent, so, like, I literally had this small little room that was outside of the bathroom 
It's like every morning I get to hear people taking dumps and showers and whatnot. And <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the greatest times, but it was, the, it was roll, the greatest man. times. Yeah. As I, go, I went out to California. It's like, whoa, this is where he, you know, it's like he obviously he wanted to be involved in music. Mm hmm. Because you know to live that that way and not be a drug addict, right? Was you know it's like oh, if he's a drug addict, I assume it. You know? mm -hmm. but, but this is like he, he's not a drug addict, and he wants you know, he, and he doesn't mind living like this. Yeah, that's that's you know, because you love your art or you love your craft or whatever. I mean, he was my only kid out of all four. They're all great, of course. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, have to say that in case they listen. I love them all the same. <laughs> but you know, he was the only kid that. Uh, was, an, was on honor rolls, mm -hmm. straight A's in, in high school, and then went on to college, two national honor societies, straight A's, and after the first year, he said, I want to be a musician. Mm -hmm. What the hell was I going to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> especially you. <laughs> I, 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 so I had no choice, you know, but, but it wasn't to be in cheap track. It was, you know, to pursue what he wanted to do. Right. So I was like, uh, I don't support my kids monetarily you know but if, if they needed something i would i was mm. always there to help but i but they knew that i uh, you know i wasn't an open wallet here whatever you want you know? right and they, uh, they had to do the work i worked as a kid i worked i started working when i was eight years old you know i screwed around or whatever i didn't work <laughs> too hard but <laughs> but you know I, I preferred to work as opposed to be sitting around i loved i still love to work today yeah well you guys are always working as, as yeah, said yeah. earlier. you guys are all me. the time i'm not pretty like you, you well know, I, I gotta you know i gotta go out <laughs> i have to leave the house to, to get milk money well, that's what i was gonna say the cheat trick was always based around the concept of two good-looking guys right and two oh, me and me those, those are the two good looking guys. <laughs> yeah now you get three guys now you get three good-looking guys and you're on your own Shut rick up. <laughs> I don't care if you are bigger. Shut the f up. Right. Here, here's some old. Okay, pictures. show me some pic. Oh, look at this. You're playing on stage with Bon Scott. No, that's Angus there. Oh wow. Angus is on drum. No. No, no, no. Oh, Bunny's. Okay, there Angus you go. Right there. That's. I thought that was Bon. Okay, so Angus is jammed with you guys on stage. Here's a good one. Wow. Bon, Angus, Malcolm. You. That was in Germany. What What are you guys playing there? Is it I, I an ACDC song or a Cheap Trick song? I'm not sure. Wow, and look at it. It's, it's like a stage curtain, like a silver stage yeah, I curtain. Yeah, this is a TV Some show. Some TV show that you were jamming with them yeah. on it. Oh, that's great. And look at your full-on... Uh, Here's is the Hoochie Trick, ACDC. Mary McCabe. Scorpion She's listed third or fourth. Yeah. We Nils still Lofgren. don't know who she Yeah, Nils and Zanke and band. And this is Nuremberg, Zeppelin Platz, this place. This is where Hitler had his rallies. At. Oh, right, you know, right, right. You know, see where that swastika gets blown up? Yeah. That's yeah. there. There's Bond with our road crew. He's on and a bicycle. He, he stole a bike from the German guy. There's <laughs> Robin playing pool. With playing him. pool with Bond. So you guys got along fairly well. Oh, yeah. Did some, did some tours. And there's Brian and the guys. And uh, But then, uh, keep t you can talk about something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you guys, your whole history right there. Has there ever been a time, Dax, when you were playing and, and you screwed up? You get the look from your dad or anything like that? And you're pretty spot yeah, He looks at me, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you <laughs> notice that he screwed up? You no, know, uh, we all screw up now and again because we, we, uh, we switch our set list every night, mm -hmm. you know, and just we'll play anything that they've ever recorded or not recorded mm -hmm. it's live you know it's, that's the fun part about it you know we're not one of those bands that goes out and, and uh, plays to Pro Tools or plays the same set list every night for 10 years like I won't right. name, I won't name names sure, you know, sure. There's, yeah, those legacy acts yeah. you know, they go out and they play the hits and that's it and it's, they say the same thing in between songs so here there's, you a, guys, there's a, that show Pete Townsend and you asking me he says hey Rick how'd you get that sound done uh, your guitar on the live at Buddha, I want you to want me. And I, I looked at it, I said, you're the guy that did the live at Leeds and you're asking me? <laughs> so that that's, was pretty That's cool. a pretty cool thing though, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Legendary guy. Yeah. Was he an influence on you as well? Oh yeah, Townsend. Townsend. Yeah. I, I, I work, we were actually, Trick, we were Daltrys. We were the Who, his backup band to play stuff with him. What, for his solo shows? Yeah, and then I did, I did some work with Townsend again as Bob Fridden. Uh, here's when I did the, I did the book for John Entrells, and here's me. That's me with him. At, mm. yeah, that's me with the forward. That's me with him at his house, or his castle, and that guitar. We only made three of those, and Townsend didn't smash that one. Now mm -hmm. it's owned by a guy in New York. I own the second one. There's only mm. three Gilmerle Travises. That's at Entrells' place. Because you're an avid guitar collector. Uh, big time. Yeah. What's what's some of your uh, your prized well, pi prized pieces? Well, how about there? That that's a picture at my house. They only made nineteen of these. 
They're like in Gibson, Ex- Gibson Explorers kind Gibson of thing. Explorers. Mm-hmm. And they just sold one last week for one point one million dollars. So that, is that is that the, is that more expensive than a '59 Les Paul? Yeah. Really? They only made nineteen of them. They're impossible to get. I got my first one in 1976. <laughs> Was that with your Budokan royalties? <laughs> Shit, 76. Budokan royalties weren't for another three or four years. <laughs> how, how could you afford a guitar like that? I then? traded stuff. I've always, you know, mm-hmm. I never wanted new guitars, so I never bought new stuff. But I always bought used. Mm-hmm. They were called used. They weren't called vintage. Then. <laughs> Tell me about your uh, guitar. That's you, the Rick Nielsen guitar. With the legs and the arms and everything. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> does, that, does that stay in tune, that guitar? Are you kidding? Yeah? How do I know? I only <laughs> played, I play my songs one song a, a night only. Oh, so you do, you use that live? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I use everything you see in those pictures. It's like, yeah, I do use them. So Are you, you going ca- to the show today? Yes. All right. So you, you find ca- out. You carry a lot of guitars with you on tour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we have about 20. I have about 20. Mm-hmm. And we have two sets of equipment, so okay. I have twenty and twenty. Gotcha. And then I have at least another one or two uh-huh. elsewhere. Okay, I have about five hundred. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how did you come up with the idea of making the guitar shaped like your body, and how did that get made? Well, uh, actually, it was a came about because of a, a Japanese uh, guitar contest where the little kids were making designing guitars, you know, make a guitar for Cheap Trick or Rick Nielsen or whatever. And they, you know, a bunch of them, they were, they were all interesting because the Japanese kids are really good artists. Mm-hmm. And the one had, had a picture kind of of me, and it says, here's where the special toggle switch is. You know? <laughs> In the crotch area. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And actually, the toggle switch is not there, but but now I just use my finger and, and let everybody know where. But, uh, but I, I'm, it's not a cucumber. No. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's no spandex. Yeah, the oh, spandex. Yeah, the cucumber and the spandex. Yeah, really. Yeah. So there you go. So, it, so that was part of it. So we, it was, that was one that that kid, it wasn't the one that I picked for the company to make a guitar for me, mm-hmm. but it was one that I, gave me an inspiration about doing it. So then I contacted Hamer, who was at the time I helped start that company too. Really? Helped start the Hamer Guitar Company. That's a big company. Actually, now. with my firstborn son, uh, Aaron. He was born in 73. He was born in 80. In 73, I was living in Philly. Uh, no money, no insurance, and I don't know what, but my wife got pregnant. So yeah. this guy named, uh, this ma- mailman came to uh, Philadelphia because he'd known me about, you know, I was a guitar collector since the 60s. And his hair was braided down to his ass, and he offered me money, which I desperately needed, to go back to Illinois to have a baby, you know, because the hospital and all stuff. And he gave me 2,500 bucks for a Gibson Les Paul that I had. And his name was Paul Hamer. Mm. He was a mailman at the time. No and kidding. Then, and then he, he went into uh, guitar repairing and then guitar making. And so that was the initial seed money. So I'm ready to kill my oldest son because the guitar is now worth about $400,000. <laughs> so there you go. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. And, and uh, I'll let you continue with the man here. Right? Well, you, you come into Cheap Trick, and it's uh, obviously Bunny Carlos's drumming is very hard-hitting. There's some great parts. What mm-hmm. were some of the hardest songs to play, uh, to learn? I, well, not necessarily hard to learn, but it, definitely I wanted to do it justice. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want it to be... Doing my own thing the right off the bat. In, yeah, right? yeah, because yeah. you know, people right away. I'm Rick's kid, mm-hmm. so either they're gonna hate me or love yeah, me. Let's go back a little bit here too, because as growing up, I didn't know he, you know, followed Cheap Trick or knew anything about us. The stuff he wanted was Pantera, mm-hmm. Metallica. Yeah, and I was I, a and metal I went head. and I yeah, yelled at still him. Still am. I said one yell at him. I said, you know, go in there and for 20 minutes, don't even hit a cymbal. Don't learn all this stuff. You know, Charlie Watts is a great example. You know, it's like there's not Phil, much Phil going Rudd. on. Phil, Phil Rudd, Phil Rudd, my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I said, you listen Straight to that. Straight beat. And then you know, I said then after an hour of boom, 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 then hit a cymbal. Mm-hmm. You know, because everybody wanted to learn this. You know, I, I, I learned or taught myself. You know, learning blues records, learning the basics, and learning the stuff, not knowing that. I'd be doing what I am today because mm-hmm. I started. I was a drummer, and now I can't even play the drums at all. So, mm-hmm. but, 
but you know i learned rudiment drum i never sure. learned uh, band stuff but so i didn't know that he you know he knows all our songs oh, what key is that thing and <laughs> tom will look over and what, what what key is that in? where then the bridge part oh that's f sharp well <laughs> he knows it because he's classically trained on piano not drums mm-hmm which is funny because I heard the same thing when Wolfgang Van Halen played joined Van Halen. He knew how the songs all really went. Right. And over years, you kind of yeah. cheat and you forget how it really goes. Like that's not how it goes. Like what are you talking about? I'm Eddie Van Halen. He goes, I know, and I'm your son. And I listen <laughs> to this stuff. Doesn't go that way. So I mean, it's the same thing. You come in pretty the band, much. Yeah, fresh I mean, blood. I, like you said, I started out on piano for twelve years, and then I taught myself guitar and drums. So I play guitar pretty well. So I, you know, I learned all the songs just kind of doinking Not around. Me knowing, I mean, I never knew you. Never oh, wow. came around okay. me. Hey, Dad, how does this go? Yeah, I, you know, I would always help my kids only if they would try themselves first. Mm-hmm. Then I would help them. But otherwise, to show somebody, it's like you know, come yeah. on. I I put in my own effort, and nobody showed me what to do. If they did, or if I saw it on TV, but TV mm-hmm. back then, they never showed it. Right, right, right. They showed the right. singer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Always the singer. the guitar player's doing. Damn singers. Yeah, right. So I, I learned Jeff Beck by listening to Jeff Beck. Just by ear. Yeah. And of course, my ear not being as good, is, <laughs> so I didn't learn it very well, but I just, that was my, still my favorite. You faked your way through. So you come in? Yeah, I just, I, at first, really just wanted to do it the right way like how you know what's on the album and then these guys were like no do like a bunch of fills there and I'd be like well that's not how it goes yeah but that's how we want it to go you know mm-hmm. so like over the years it's kind of blended in more of me and the old way well, sure so we, we, yeah when we record in the old days it's like you know we never did more than two or three tracks basic tracks so it's like you know oh god I wish he was doing this but, but we were happy that Bunny wasn't in the studio to, mm-hmm. to, to redo it <laughs> so so that so that part that we wanted 14 years ago, now we have the chance to do it <laughs> yeah. properly. Yeah. <laughs> True story. There you go. Yeah, I think it's been good. The fans appreciate it, and uh-huh. you know the, the guys are happy because we're we're trying new stuff with old songs, or you know what I mean. Sure. So sure. it's kind of like given a new. Do you ever run into like direction. stalwart like Bunny Carlos fanatics? Now and again. You, now and again. But the, you know the you're thing gonna is, get that right. Yeah. No matter what I do or how good I play, they're still not going to care. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it, do, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. But I'd say ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the fans go wow. Sure. They're doing two hour sets and they're, they're playing. Happy that we're playing. Yeah. yeah, yeah absolutely. Because we wouldn't have you know probably yeah. continued. Right. So right. He was around, so it was like to do something. For the sake of doing something, screw it. It's the same thing that Paul and Gene go through. I mean, Kiss right now, you just played with them yeah. a couple of weeks ago. That lineup is a great lineup. Yeah. They're tight, they're solid, mm-hmm. they can play anything. It's fun to go watch Kiss, yeah. but you'll still get people. It's like, it's not Ace Fraley and it's not Peter. It's like, dude, shut up. <laughs> just enjoy the show, man. Come on. Right. You know? Can't you know, win them all. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, you can't please everybody all the time, you yeah. know? I want you to want me. Rick, I was going to ask you about, uh, it's interesting too, talking about Kiss, how when they did a live, a lot of the songs were, were much more up-tempo, which were way better. Take Rock and Roll Night. I find the same for I Want You to Want Me. The original recorded version is slow, almost like a shuffle type thing. Live, it's got so much more power, and that was the one that was always the hit. Yeah, well, that was the live, live version. The, yeah. You know, we did that record. We had that song on our first record, but it, but it didn't, mm-hmm. didn't make it to the record. And it was the second or the third record before it came on, and when we did this, did the song, I said, "Here's what I want here." We went right back on tour. While we went on tour, it got mixed, and the and the honky tonk piano was put on there, made it more fluffy and uh, <laughs> wanky, wanky. <laughs> uh, and so, but, so that was not the way we originally had done it live. So that was done when you left by in post production or whatever. It was done. Yeah, the, it was the Jay Winding. Oh wow. Uh, who actually was, we liked Jay, but you know, he was listening to to Tom Worman about how we wanted it. You know, originally I said, you know, that song reminds me of me sitting in a, a chair watching TV at my house with my, you know, the TV in 1954. Mm-hmm. So not much on, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting there watching, you know, there's a clarinet player, you know, put on my own brown shoes. I've never worn brown shoes, thank you. <laughs> You got red ones on right now. Yeah. <laughs> Put on a brand new shirt, had that. 
shine out my old brown shoes. Brown, well, brown shoes just had a better flow to it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I put that in. And plus, a lot of people wore brown mm-hmm. uh, shoes where they got wingtips or went back in that day. So that was reminiscent of my childhood of, you know, like that kind of comfortable feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, that's what where that came from. And then uh, I'd said, to, I probably told Worm, I said, you know, that's that comfortable thing that I had. And, and so we left, went on tour, before you knew it, had a comfortable piano on there. <laughs> but it, it wasn't a hit anyplace except Japan. And the reason why we did it live there was because it was a hit. You know, the honky tonk one mm-hmm. it was a hit in Japan. But by then, you know, the. Uh, didn't I? Didn't I see it crying, crying? The audience did that on their own. We just streaming along. That, that was them. And yeah. It's like now we now we depend on that. <laughs> it's so interesting that of all the countries to break in first, Japan was was the one for Cheap Trick. Uh, it was like landing on the moon when we got there, and because it was, back then there were no Americans. You've been there. You mm-hmm. wrestled there and all that kind of stuff. Where it was like when we went there in 1978, the first time it was like. You know, we're gaijing. You know, yeah, right, right. Foreigners. foreigners. And but everybody there, it's like, you know, we really stood out. You know, people were skinny then too, because there was no McDonald's there. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They got Americanized, so they look <laughs> yeah, like us. Right. They're tall and, and full of chemicals like <laughs> yeah, us. That's right. Yeah. So there you go. There's my story. <laughs> so in '78, yeah, and you know, when we flew over there, we actually flew coach, and we we stayed. I stayed in a room with Tom, and Bunny stayed with Robin. You know. We, we didn't even have our own rooms, you know? mm-hmm. so we, you know, it was really, we were just building up to something. And then it's like, but uh, yeah, over there, it was like they were just totally enamored with us. And so I said, this is the smartest, greatest country in the world. <laughs> Geniuses, I say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so was that originally was supposed to be a, an album for Japan only? Yep, Japan only. How did it get into the States? It was just became a, it was the biggest import album I think of all time you know live import live album of all time and just started to get airplay and and I think we've got Lenny Collins from uh, Epic from Boston took it out started playing it for people and played it for people before you know we just get played there and then boom it went to the west coast and Chicago and before you know it was like it was all over the place and so people instead of paying you know 1598 or whatever it was to get an import which you couldn't get because you know sell out every time mm-hmm. you get it. You get let's see spending money. This is before internet. You know also sort of spending money to get a, a, a record by a band from the U.S. From you know it's like it's like it's hard to get. You know? <laughs> and so they put it out and uh, it just just exploded. Off. And that's how albums would do that in the '70s. If the right DJs got a hold of it or the right groups of people heard it, suddenly it would just explode. You were just a baby, but. You probably should have had a copy. <laughs> I think I might have had one in about 81, I think is when I got hip to Cheap Trick. So uh, when you're growing up, and, you, and your dad is, is obviously a famous rock musician, did you understand how big of a band Cheap Trick was, or was it just Not your necessarily. Dad? I mean, at the time when I was growing up, I mean, I was seven, like seven or eight. You don't, you know, your, your dad. Yeah, my dad's a superhero no matter what. My dad played for the Rangers, but to me, he was just my dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even though everybody else was like, oh my gosh, your dad plays for the Rangers. I'm like, yeah. I like, yeah. So. And on Wednesday, know? I take the garbage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I still, I, I moved back, but Rick still lives in Rockford, Illinois, where, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't born there, but basically was. And I was. And it's just a blue collar town. So if you, if you think you're somebody special in that town, you'll probably get your ass kicked. You know, like, you know nobody cares. Right. He was right. at the grocery store, like you said, getting milk for, mm-hmm. for the kids or taking the garbage out. And that's kind of how I still live. I live there again, mm-hmm. proudly. Right. And, uh, but then, you know, Tommy Lee, Uncle Tommy'd come over after the gig and they'd be partying and, he'd be like, oh my God, your dad's the coolest. We love your dad. Or, you know, here's Slash and, and Axel at the house. Now, these are guys that you're into. Yeah. Hanging out because your dad's holy. there. Yeah. So, yeah. And even up until now, like within the last four or five years, I've spent a lot of time with Mike McCready from Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. He wishes he was Rick Nielsen, you know, like, <laughs> but he's in a much bigger. Have you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just kind of cool. So, I mean, yeah. It's kind of just been how it always was, but it took. A, I never thought of it as like. Tell them, tell them the story, because I, I have to, kind of tell it, from hearing about it when I took you, to go see. Uh, oh, oh, 1991, I, I assume DeKalb. So I went. I, I was a huge Chili Peppers fan. Mm-hmm. So we went to the gymnasium in DeKalb, Illinois, Northern, Northern Illinois University, to go see Chili Peppers, who were headlining. 
And then right below them opening up was the Smashing Pumpkins. And below them was a band I'd never heard of called Pearl, Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. And so we're hanging out, and Rick's like, my dad was like, hey, you want to go say hi to those guys? And I, I looked over, and you know they all had long hair and flannels on. I was like, no, those guys look gross and smelly you know like now looking back it's like man i could have met those guys <laughs> yes but last year i was eddie vetter's drummer for three nights in chicago no kidding. yeah he does a, a big thing with um theo epstein from the cubs oh, okay it's a big fundraiser that he does called yeah. hot stove and i got hired to be eddie's drummer for that's two nights you know well, that's that's a good story mm-hmm. but at that same show remember i went in the bathroom to take a piss <laughs> and don't you remember what flea said that you've forgotten more than I've than he'd ever learned. No, no. no. no he said uh, your dad was uh, weird before it was cool to be weird. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, absolutely. So that's what he said. And it's like that. I remember. I you know I remembered the other bands, but uh, yeah, your dad was uh, weird before it was cool to be weird. And here's Flea saying, that. right? Not to me. <laughs> he was saying to me as I was in you know taking a piss, and uh, you know it's like. I think it was the other band that, <laughs> said, that said that your dad's already forgotten more than you'll ever know. Yeah, that was the bass player for the Violent Femmes. Violent Femmes. Yeah. But you always did have that kind of a weird gimmick in the seventies. Was that was well, that something? I, I, I never, I never wanted to be anybody else. I don't mm. know that I wanted to be me. You know, I didn't. You know, I'm me. I never didn't. You know, if you think about it, all those bands, are, all the guys wanted to look like you know, Keith Richard or, or you know whoever Jimmy Page or whatever. It's like, you know, it's like, I love those guys, but it would be a joke for me to try to dress up, you know, like, sure. act like I'm English or, you know. Right, right, right. Whatever. It's like, so I never wanted to be that, but, I, you know, and I didn't want to be, to blend in, because mm-hmm. I didn't blend in anyhow. You know, I was like, the guy that would get in trouble, but not big trouble. I would get in trouble, you know, like in seventh grade when I, I was in the first chair. Flute and drums. Mm-hmm. See, and my dad had a music store. He was rented to everybody, every school system around. You know, all the cellos, all the violins, all the brass, all the you know trumpets, all this, that, the other. And I grew up. My dad was an opera singer too, so I was around music quite a bit. Not my kind of music. Mm-hmm. And so here in seventh grade, uh, I'm getting this director telling me what to do, and it's like. I went to him one day in seventh grade. I said, Mr. Bishop, you're an incompetent, drunken fool who doesn't deserve to teach music to me or anyone else. <laughs> Boom, I was thrown out, of, I'm thrown out of the Rockford school system music program for life. Mm-hmm. For, for life. <laughs> you know, and that was it. That was, I was never allowed back in. Not that I wanted, I didn't want to be in the band. Mm-hmm. Any, because I wanted to play in, in rock or a band. I was like really a drummer then, mm-hmm. but I just couldn't stand how we. What I said was the exact truth. I said that was the last time I told the truth because I got in trouble <laughs> for but, that. You know, for so that kind of made... I fit in. You know, and then you know, years later, I was like, oh man, Rick, you, know, you we remember you at school. You were always this, that, the other. He was like, well, you don't remember me in band. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> so, but I, you know, I never went to a prom. I never went to a football game unless I was playing at it. Mm-hmm. There were other guys that, you know, oh, I got a, I got a date with that. Okay, well, I, dates were good too, but you know, playing music was more important. Right, it was more important, right? So that's how I, my work ethic was more. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, in school, like he got straight A's. My, my dad graduated college at sixteen. Hmm. So he was really smart. What he, what he wanted to do, he was in love with my mother, and he wanted to do music. He was a choir director, so he wasn't like a rich, rich person, but he was rich spiritually and yeah, yeah, yeah. morally. But and so, but he wanted to do that. So, so you know, I I'm half as smart because <laughs> my mom, I don't think she was that or whatever. <laughs> but it was like I could have done well when when I liked teachers, I would you know kiss their ass or you know try to do well if I liked them I'd do great if the teachers were I thought lousy teachers or I was smarter than them which is probably not a mm-hmm. great thing to do and it was always get me in trouble right you know I took Spanish one twice you know and you know I didn't do yeah but the other stuff that I wanted to do well I did, did I could do well that made you an original though from those experiences yeah, I, mean, I, I never thought about it you know I didn't well, 
you're going to be in a band when you're 70 years or 60 <laughs> yeah. what <laughs> now that wouldn't have appealed to me i would have quit right then you know? let's talk a bit about your new record before you got to go rick it's uh, okay. uh um, that was uh, six and a half minutes okay quit <laughs> bang zoom crazy hello i had to write down the initials so i kept getting it wrong it's a very uh it's very it's very cheap tricky and uh song title or album title well it was a song title it started oh. out that way okay so how was it for you to do your first uh your first record ah there's the picks bang yeah i'm listening i'm listening okay yeah how was it to do your first record with uh with your son and and not have uh, bunny carlos with you for the first time and have your son instead <sighs> relief really no it's good yeah you know it's like he brought you know he can play all kinds of stuff. You know, it's like I, don't, I didn't tell him what to play, did I? I don't think no, no, was, that's great. At carte blanche to do whatever I felt. You have like. the freedom to take the riffs, and, and yeah, just... we were having, we were kind of writing it as it was going too. So there were no like, this is the part that you know we've been mm-hmm. playing for fifteen. Yeah, years. Yeah, we might suggest stuff, but oh it's yeah, like, there you go. Make that was the crazy alone. that was the brilliant <laughs> part about doing it in the studio, kind of live ish. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we, we, we so. all take you know, hey, uh, why don't you play something a little higher part there? For me, oh, okay, Tom, Tom, play play more stuff there, Robin. Uh, I think we should have it. You know, you know, it's like we know what we're doing, but we're we're not you know opposed to mm-hmm. attempting stuff, so. changing stuff up, right? Yeah, it was, was cool too because we we did like three days in Nashville in between tour dates because we were there. Like, hey, let's just instead of going home, let's do three days. Mm-hmm. So we did that and did that again, and then we went to L.A. Same kind of thing. Three days. I think we recorded four or five times over a total of like fifteen. Days. Just bang it out, right? And just had 35 songs at the end, and we had to pick 13. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's so how it goes, We right. have a whole another album ready to go, basically. So when you're talking about realizing that your dad is, is you know, this really cool guy, do you, do you remember seeing him live for the first time? Going, Did you go to the shows when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember the, the first time, but definitely, I mean, kind of like he was saying, or kind of like he always says, he was never going to be Joe Perry or mm-hmm. like, you know, Bon Jovi, these cool-looking, long-haired, sex symbol guys. Like, yeah, so, yeah. I looked around like nobody else was like him in a way, you know, with the baseball caps and the. When I was growing up, he was still wearing all the the, the quirky sweaters and you bow ties, know, bow ties and, and pins and. I actually, I actually used to have an outfit that was all black and white checkered. Yeah, and it was my it was my cheap trick outfit. Nice. It was my Rick Nielsen outfit. I used to wear it on on <laughs> Raw. Actually, you could nice. probably find it online. Cool. So I always love that vibe that he had well, it's, too. It's cool that you know. A musician can inspire a wrestler. Oh, yeah. Or vice versa. Well, there's a lot of similarities between the two. For me, they're always kind of hand in hand. Well, yeah, and it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. And right, it's, sure. It's based on the live audience, based on the live totally. reaction, the live crowd. Yeah, because you, know, you, do, you do a sound check. I don't know I don't know if you guys do rehearsals or Sometimes, warm-ups, yeah. but at sound check, you're not like headbanging and sweating your butt. You know, you're, you're playing right. through the song to get the sound right. And yeah, you, figure it out. But when you get in front of people, like if you're any kind of entertainer or have any passion, you're, you 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 just give everything you got mm-hmm. and you leave it all on the floor on the stage and then when you're done you're exhausted mm-hmm. you know but you could have done the whole thing just sitting straight up and not moving muscle but sure that's well, not what you do that's not why you are in a ba- a big band or you know yeah sure have a sure. huge career like you had if you connect have, so so when you were watching your dad play did you start figuring out like man this guy's got some some cool stuff yeah I, for sure I mean and, and and the thing about him is that he his the songs are so great that he wrote. That he could have rested on that, but instead he's more known for his 25 guitars and throwing the guitar picks and being who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, and the second the songwriting is just kind of second nature. You know, mm-hmm. it's like but he's written some classic, you know, classic songs. Classic songs that will never be forgotten. But nobody says, "Oh, that's Rick Nelson. He wrote I Want You to Want Me." They go, yeah. "Oh, that's Rick. He's the guy with the baseball cap and the and the, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, five yeah. neck guitar." You know, so <laughs> to have two ways to be known is pretty amazing. Sure. Know? So. Tell me a little bit about the stories when you said, you know, Tommy Lee would come over, Slash, or Axel. Yeah. Any, any, any crazy memories that you have of those, your dad's crazy friends coming <laughs> over? Well, yeah, because we have a um, an arena that you've you've worked at before. It used to be called the Metro Center, but now it's called the, whatever, the Bank Center. In, in Rock, whatever it's called this week. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in Rockford, yeah. It's in Rockford. And, you know, all the, all the bands in the 80s, especially, because, you know, Rick quit drinking. 20 years ago now, but mm-hmm. back in the 80s, he was a very good drinker, liked <laughs> to uh, host after-show parties. And so, you know, all these guys would come over, and most of them, like Guns N' Roses, they're on their first tour for Appetite. They're 21, 22 years old, but they're, you know, on the rise and invincible, you know, so Rick comes over and shows them how to drink. And, you know, <laughs> the story goes, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, at the end of the night, it was just Rick and Slash having a drink, drink off. 
and Slash tried to take his hat off, tried to take Rick's hat off, so Rick punched him in the face, and then, you know, <laughs> hit and carried, you know, he got carried out to the tour bus, and they're great friends still to this day, but, like, you know, in those days, yeah, <laughs> try your hat on, you know, that kind of thing, or the Nelson twins came over once, and they went in the bathroom with these two girls, and they were in there for a while. I think they were washing their hands for 20 <laughs> sure, minutes. Yeah. I'm not sure. Doing their hair, you know, helping when you're, each other When out. you're seven years old, you're like, oh, what? man, they've been, did they have tacos for dinner? They've been in the bathroom for a long time. Like, now I look back and like, oh, wow, okay, ah, cool. Now I get it. In Rick's yeah. house. So was there always people coming over like Kind that? of. I mean, well, he was, Cheap Trick was always on the road, so it wasn't, you know, if he wasn't home, nobody was coming over, mm-hmm. but if he was home, he didn't need a night off because he's a home, you know, because he's home from tour. It's, yeah. Let's keep the train rolling, keep the party you know. Rolling. Yeah, exactly. So no, I you know I think like going back to Guns and Roses, they were on their first tour, and you know this is before they were massive, so he was kind of like taking them under his wing in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, come on over, I'll you know drink my beer and <laughs> do my drugs, and you know, <laughs> let me show you. How call to your girlfriend long distance because you probably haven't talked to her in four days. You know, <laughs> so you know for me, just you know. I, kind of standing at the top of the stairs and you know peering your head around because you don't want them to see you mm-hmm. you're supposed to be in bed but right right you right know, it's kind of i learned a lot of things not to do sure and a lot of things how to do right you know night. yeah how, how do you like touring like uh being on the road as much as you are with cheap trick i love it mm-hmm. i love it because I've, I've always been i had my own band for about seven years with my brother miles called harmony riley but after seven years we realized we kind of plateaued and we weren't gonna quote unquote make it mm-hmm so I became in 2004. I went out to LA and just became a hired gun. You know, luckily I got work. So I've been working forever. You know, 15 years. With anybody interesting out there? Dick Dale for three years, the surf guitar guy. Um, I was in a band called A Fine Frenzy with with a, a girl. We got signed to Virgin mm-hmm. and did a bunch of tours. Tell me a little bit about Dick Dale. You talking about you know Rick Nielsen playing guitar and Dick Dale playing guitar? Yeah. It's all about the the solo and the surf. Yeah. And you know anybody that's seen Pulp Fiction, that's his song. That's that was the, it. Yeah, the, that's the Miserloo. Miserloo. Yep. Uh, I always do the analogy that Dick Dale was poison and the Beatles were Nirvana because Dick Dale was the biggest thing. Surf guitar, you know, the Beach Boys and Dick Dale, he had this, he was the biggest artist on the planet. Mm-hmm. And then the Beatles came out and he had no career. It ended his career, kind of the same with Poison wow, and Nirvana. I see. Wow. And so he ended up just owning a bunch of nightclubs because he had money from, from all that. And uh, so he bought nightclubs down in, you know, on the beach and kind of kept that lifestyle but he wasn't touring mm-hmm. and then in 93 i think it was pulp fiction came out and totally just gave him a career put again back on board Quentin tarantino put that as like the main entry song and it's unmistakable and now like the black eyed peas sampled it and right. gave, you know and he must had, be making some cash he, now, I, he does all right you know <laughs> so that was you know but he was at the t- when i first started playing with him he was 69 mm-hmm. i played with him till he was 72 and i'm i saw more disgusting rock and roll sex debauchery and, yeah like whoa this guy's old and he's still doing <laughs> he's still, it so i think he actually hit on my wife once uh oh, i guarantee somewhere. it somewhere yeah. yeah she says he, he said he was i mean she says he's dean dale i was like dick dale <laughs> dean dale. dick dale oh. was hitting on you I, th- I think he's like he's got like he's got like the skull with the long ponytail yep. yes sir but yeah. so when, you, when you're playing surf rock i mean because th- this is something that's kind of interesting to me uh a very kind of short period in rock and roll history, but mm-hmm. for a while there was hundreds of surf rock oh, yeah. bands. Oh, yeah. Is there because there's like da 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 da? Is there more kind of a shuffle beat behind that? Uh, there or? is a bit of that. You know, I, you you just you mouth it perfectly, so I don't need to explain it. But yeah, that's that's the thing. That was the style. That was you know, it's it's people complain about music these days. Like once Britney Spears came out, then there was a bunch of other Britney Spearses or or Coldplay or whatever. Everybody sounds like you too. Like. That's happened forever. Mm-hmm. You know, Dick Dale was hit, was a hit, and so the Ventures and all these other surf guitar bands. That's all the so the label just pumps, gets as many of those going, trying to make money and selling records. Right, you right, know? right, so right, right, sure. That was definitely a thing. And so to get to learn how to play that style, and then I played with that girl, and that was a lot of brushes and mm. and real slow melodic drumming and mood drumming. Yeah, so I I, I take pride in kind of being able to do. Everything, which is great. That's yeah. what you have to do. And now, now with Cheap Trick, I sure. I do the, the bunny, homage, but with my own thing. You know, I, I play drums like Cheap Trick. Now, mm-hmm. you know, if I were to play in a heavy metal band, I'd play like Vinnie sure, Paul. Of course, of course, you know. But let, let's talk about this quickly, and 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 because uh, there's obviously some issues between Rick and Bunny and the guys, and then that's fine. But for you as a player, that's mm-hmm. a pretty damn good drummer bunny cause oh. i saw him at the rock and roll hall of fame yeah. and we were hanging out yeah, just yeah. watching him play it's like wow yeah he's really good he's got his own style too like mm-hmm. there's a he he's left-handed but he plays right-handed 
Hmm. So he kind of, it's almost as if his left hand, which hits the snare drum, it's kind of like a normal person's right hand would be on the hi-hat. So he's got this, This it's a riding, instead of, with the twos and fours. And so not a lot of people, I grew up kind of, watching that so i'm able to do that with my left hand which a lot of drummers cannot do Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just it's just their brain isn't wired that way sure so what for better or worse you know i can i can do that right right which is great and then add your own which which is their sound you know yeah yeah yeah, that's the thing it's the cheap trick sound it wouldn't be the same without that signature yeah sound tom plays the 12 string bass and bunny had the the left-handed riding that's interesting so what have you learned from uh, from touring with Cheap Trick, like from your dad, not from a fatherly aspect sort mm-hmm. of thing, as, as, a, as a working, very successful rock and roll band for 40 years? Right. I don't know if I learned it, but it definitely reaffirmed just that every show matters. Don't ever go out there and, you know, you're tired, you know, and you don't give it your all. Just, you know, I've never seen those guys ever phone it in hmm. in my 36 years of life watching the band and now playing with them for seven. Mm-hmm. Like... The, the audience paid money to see you play, so I don't care if you're sick. I don't care if your your butt hurts. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Like get out there and do it, and go, then go back to the hotel and rest. And, and you know we do a meet and greet every night too. And you're tired, and you don't want to shake some stranger's hand or fifty of them. But that ten seconds of life, or then ten seconds of an yeah. encounter, like they'll remember that the rest of their life. So you know it's little things like just don't be over yourself. You know, like yeah, yeah get over yourself. Yeah, 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 get over yourself and just. Yeah. You know, you're making somebody's day, even though it seems silly to you. Like, go out there and play as well as you can every time and be nice. And Ron, Ronnie James Dio told that to me years ago. Is give everybody their moment. Yeah. Like he just said, he said exactly what you said. You'll never remember it, right. but they'll never forget. They'll, if you're a jerk, they'll tell everybody they know. Yeah, and they'll always remember that yeah. that, that you, you know, hurt totally. your feelings. Like Rick was saying earlier about how some guys you meet, you're just like, you wish you hadn't met them. Yep. You don't ever want that to be that way. No. Sometimes you, sometimes it's, you know, but if if you're in a bad mood or in an airport, but when you're in that public forum yeah. where people are coming to see you and meet you, yeah. you owe it to them to smile. I don't care how shitty of a day you're having, right? That's how I make my living. That's how you make your living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of those people. How is it for you right now, uh, Cheap Trick, the perennial, the most famous opening band in history? Yeah. And now you're touring with Joan Jett and, and Hart. How's, how's the tour? It's been great because all three bands are now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. yeah so it's called the Rock Hall 3 for all because they needed a, a title. <laughs> of course. But, uh, to put a selling t-shirt. point, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we each get an hour. For each band only to play an hour, you get to play every song That's, that yeah. everybody wants to hear. That's Plus 12, 13 extras, songs, you know? man. Yeah. yeah. At least. So, I mean, you play all the hits and the crowd gets everything they want to get from that ticket. And it's, mm-hmm. So that's been really great. And Everybody has been around for 35 plus years. Sure. So, Do you have interactions with any of the other bands? All day. Been, yeah, yeah, every day. We, it's been one of the better tours I've ever been on. Mm-hmm. Just with people, because, you know, Cheap Trick and Joan Jett used to gig together all the time, you know, like when she was 15 years old. Wow. You know, so she still looks up to them as like brothers kind of thing. And same with, you know, vice versa. And everybody gets along great. And, you know, everybody except for Cheap Trick, with ex- excluding me, but Hart and Joan Jett, it's all new guys in the bands, you know? Sure, yeah. So younger guys or girls. Um, so you got some people to hang out with that aren't Yeah, you know, 60s. so I've made some good connections, and mm-hmm. uh, Dan Rothschild is the bass player for Heart. He was one of my good friends when I lived in L.A., okay. so I like to actually tour together now is great. You know? Touring arenas and yeah, so we're, theaters you know, we're, we're making yeah. memories. You made it, yeah. Yeah, so we're kind of looking at each other like, wow, we're playing for 20,000 people a night, every night, <laughs> yeah. for three months straight. <laughs> so what do you do now, Dax? Like you said, uh, we were talking before this, Cheap Trick, Rick is 67, the Stones are still playing at 72, 73. You yeah. got this really big gig. What do you do, though, kind of in the back of your head, knowing that like 10 years from now, you still want to be playing rock and roll? Yeah. Cheap Trick might not be or probably won't be. Well, you never know. I, I, who would have thought they'd still be going at Rick is 68 sure. years old? Sure. Um, I have a studio at my house. And these days, I'll, you know, if you have music, you could drop box it to me. Mm-hmm. I'll record drums over your, your guitar parts and send it back to you. And, you know, so yeah, sure. I'm kind of trying to make sure that people know that, I, that I'm a, a gun for hire in the studio and you don't have to fly me out and put me up and, you know, yeah. I'll do it at my house. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is, a, it's a lot, it's an easier way for people to, to, to make their dreams come true these days. Like, cause back in the day you'd have to rent a studio and a producer. Now you just email it to me. Mm-hmm. I'll and do I'm all the drums it. and send it back yeah. and you can work on I'll it. edit it out. I'll at do your own time. Put the samples on. Yeah. So I do that. And like I said, I did like the Eddie Vedder gig last year. So I'm just trying to, I try to play as much as possible. How'd you like playing with Eddie? Amazing. 
Because he's very much off the cuff too, from what I understand. Yeah. From Pearl Jam. I mean, I, I, I had a, they gave me a list of like twelve songs to, to to learn. Luckily, I'm a Pearl Jam fan. We ended up playing for two and a half hours that night. Like that's a lot more than twelve songs. <laughs> he's just calling stuff. He's calling corduroy, or, you know, calling out rocking in the free world. It's like okay, I, I know it yeah. enough. And it was, yeah, yeah. It was for charity, so it wasn't like. But you once you're a up, pro, you can fake your way through yeah, the parts. Yeah, you don't yeah. Know. I've been yeah. playing in clubs since I was 17 years old, right. 15, 16, 17. So. I've done most of those songs in my own bands or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. and a Pearl Jam fan. So, or just wing it. If mm-hmm. you're not playing the right part, maybe it's better than what, what he had originally. You know, so <laughs> it's all about confidence. Yeah, right? yeah. just go with it. Exactly. <laughs> Last question for you, Rick, before you have to go. What's your favorite song on uh, on, on the record? On the record, what's your favorite song to play live? Ooh, it's hard, right? They're like your kids. <laughs> I love them all. <laughs> I don't know. You know, they're all. They're, they're fun to play. I, the, the intro song, "Hard uh, on the Line." Hard on the Line is cool. Mm-hmm. It's a pop song, but then there's a "Long Time No See You." That's a song that that was actually the Bang, uh, bang Zoom Crazy Hello original okay. thing. It's a great tune. But then it was like you get to the part. It's like it's a part about uh, addictions and drinking and drugging and you know it's a long time no see you. Boy, I missed you. You know, I really missed you. You know, <laughs> then I have another, 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 another. Ah, long time. You know, it's like it's reintroducing yourself to a vice or whatever. Mm-hmm. Could be a good vice too. So it's, sure. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, hey, boy, I missed working out. Yeah. Then I tried another and another and another. And another. All right. Long time no see you. You know, if you put it like it's like, it's got to have at least double or triple entendre. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. to keep Some layers my own to attention, it. let alone anybody else's. I know what that song means. Oh, really? Tell me. You know, it might be a better idea than what I had. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> how, about, how about your favorite song to play live? Well, when I drank a lot, it was Good Night. <laughs> <laughs> the last song of the set. Because <laughs> I didn't drink when I played. Okay. So, you know, I don't know. You know, I have fun playing lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's good things about almost every one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do stuff that's like we do uh, some lookout, which is like basically only on the, the live Budokan record. It's like yeah, it's got a cool middle part to it, and every musician that we ever meet, they'll say, "God, I want that part. Yeah, I really like that." But at Dream plays that middle part. How's that go? I don't care how good they are. Every one of them has trouble with it. Now I think of it because I just do it, but it's it's got weird timing in there too. So it's like. Until you actually show it, to, oh, that's how that is. Mm-hmm. You know, so I got You know, that's kind of fun to do because it's, it's it's still kind of goofy and goony, and we we do a Vita Zane sometimes. And I, there's a great song that, that nobody really had ever heard, Borderline, yeah. that we had on a record. It doesn't sound as good on the record as it does live now. I mean, now it's just like I wrote it, but it's like you know, God, I wish I would have yeah. been smarter then. It's know? fun to rediscover some of those yeah. old gems and re- yeah, rework yeah, them. But there's lots of stuff. I mean, Robin's got good stuff. We, mm-hmm. you know, all, all together we got a lot of fun stuff. And then when we start playing these different sets, every night it's like, God, I, like we did Clock Strikes Ten. I mean, yeah. geez, no wonder it was it, that was number one in Japan. Was it really? Yeah, nowhere else in the world. It's random, yeah. Yeah, and that was like so. That was early on. Mm-hmm. And it's stupid. Dee, 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 dee. It's every note down. Dee, dee. It started on an A. A, D, flat, D, A, D, 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 Boy, listen, boy, I really thought that one out. I did, because you had to count what, you know. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten. There you go. man. Last question for you. What's your favorite song on the new record? And what's your favorite song to play live? Oh, man. Being your first record, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I also "Hard on the Line" is the first track. That's it's a it's tune, yeah. just a rocker, and it comes it's a out classic cheap trick. It is, it is. And then um, we did a track called "When I Wake Up Tomorrow," which is the third track, and it's slow, kind of Bowie esque. You know, Robin sings real, kind of like David Bowie, versus mm-hmm. like screaming Robin Zander. And Robin can sing anything, but like that was a. It was kind of like we don't have to record the same cheap trick song over again. Like let's go somewhere else. And mm-hmm. and that was the first single and it was number one on uh radio, you know, not, not only con- like adult contemporary mm-hmm. it was in rock radio. Rock radio. That's great. So like for me, and that was a part I came up with and we, re- we, you know, it was our creation. Yeah. And yeah. to hear that on the radio for the first time was like, Whoa, you know, this is, this is great. And, but I mean, it's cliche, but they're all, I love them all. And mm-hmm. it, Except for one, but, we don't, <laughs> but you know, every song's a little different. And, and there's a song called "Blood Red Lips," which is kind of got the Southern Girls vibe. Cheap yeah, trick. it's a fun one. Yeah, you know, so every every song's a bit different. I got a drum solo in um, 
uh, Sun Never Sets. Ah. So it's later in the album, so people probably haven't heard it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's later in the album. It's yeah, drum solo. drum solo. Don't want to open up with that one. <laughs> How about your favorite song to play live with Cheap Trick? Uh, I love to play Top of the World. Oh, off of Heaven Tonight and Gunner Ray's Hell is one of the it's a 12 minute song do you guys play that lots live we do on our own shows but lift, th- yeah. we have an hour that's it's a 12 minute because there's a drum solo in that one as well and then like a bass thing in the middle and we use that in between sets oh, when I play with so Foz cool. we put uh, Gunner Ray's Hell on to, before yeah. we go on it's just a great tune yeah so that that, that one's great I, you know Hello Kitties or Big Eyes or, I mean, they're all yeah. different they're and, all fun and, though and the same time like you play every night the same songs or whatever Every night when you play I Want You to Want Me, the crowd stands up, whether they're sitting down or whatever. Everybody in the audience gets up and like pulls out their phone or sings mm-hmm. along. And I don't care if you played it a thousand times. It's and the fun thing about every that night's is different. It's it fun. It starts with a drum intro. Too. Oh, yeah. It's a very, <laughs> it's, it's, you're, it's, yeah, it's almost like a, like a trot for teacher or right. a run to the hills where it's got that drum beat where you yeah. know it right away what yeah. it is. That, it's a signature lick. So. Yeah. You know, I, I, every song's fun, and, you know, I'm playing drums for a living, so every yeah. song, no matter what, is going to be great. <laughs> yeah. My favorite song. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Rick. Good Thanks. Well, dude, it's great to see you. We met at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think I was pretty loaded, but uh, it was good we get the chance to hang out. You you, you brokered having Rick come down, yeah. and uh, so I appreciate it, man. I'm looking yeah, forward you, to seeing you. You called me and my buddy Ben a stupid idiot that night, and <laughs> made my, it made my week. <laughs> <laughs> only only I could call someone a stupid idiot, and it's a good thing. And they go, yeah, yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks. Thank you, Tokyo! Thanks to Rick Nielsen and Dax Nielsen of Cheap Trick. Great stories, uh, father and son. And what a great show, too. We did this interview the night I went to see them where they were touring with Hart and Joan Jett, and they did play Gunner Ray's Hell just for me. I love it. They don't stop either. They got a couple live dates this month. They got the 80s cruise in February, then a full winter tour kicking off from February 24th in Indio, California. Follow them on Twitter at Cheap Trick and Facebook at Cheap Trick. All right. And thanks to you for listening. Thanks to all you listeners for supporting the great Jericho Network shows on Podcast One, including the newest entry beyond the darkness we've got another hit in our hands with this one runaway hit it's getting great numbers and ratings dave schrader and tim dennis doing a tremendous job of scaring the crap out of you uh the first uh, three episodes are all about the black eyed kids and the shadow people these guys uh, are the best in the world at what they do i know you guys love my paranormal shows they always do great ratings so now i'm giving you a, a weekly paranormal show beyond the darkness uh, exclusively on the jericho network so go hit the subscribe button at itunes for beyond the darkness and all the other uh, tgn shows including killing the town with Storm and Cyrus every Tuesday. Keep it at 100 with Conan on Thursdays. And of course, the Team Tiger Awesome Show every Sunday. Lots of entertainment for you all week long. All week long! And hey, let me say thanks to all of you for doing all your shopping through the Talk is Jericho Amazon links. Easiest way to support the show. I use the Talk is Jericho links when I shop on Amazon. And guess what? Amazon makes it so easy and hassle-free, man. You can find my Amazon links at podcast1.com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page and then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got the Amazon links for the USA, UK, Canada, Every time you use that Amazon link, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to Talk is Jericho to help us cover production costs. You can buy just about anything you think of on Amazon and there's no extra fees or hidden challenges. Just go to podcast1.com, click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. Okay, you can also find all my other great sponsors there. Good stuff. And don't forget to more good stuff. March 15, 2017, the biggest podcast ever. When Mick Foley joins Talk is Jericho, the countdown rolls on 66 days until Mick makes his TIJ debut. You're going to be listening. It's going to be great. I thank you for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. And on Wednesday, he is the highest-selling, greatest saxophone player of all time. I'm talking about Kenny G. Yeah, you heard me right. Kenny G. You might be wondering, what the hell is Kenny G doing on Talk is Jericho? He was a tremendous guest. Wait till you hear this one. It'll be one of your favorite episodes by the time you finish. Kenny G, the greatest saxophone player of all time and huge in China as well. He's the guy with the curly hair and the curly sax uh, leads. He's going to be here next Wednesday. We will see you then. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And a big, yeah, boy, Kenny G. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcast1.com.